Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. Let me, let me, let's read through this just a little bit. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, Wherein, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob. And I hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Tonight I want to preach on and, and kind of we want to do, I want to do a little a, a Bible study. And I, I hopefully, Lord willing, we'll get through it tonight. But I want to do a Bible study. There's seven complaints that God has in the book of Malachi. God complains to, the, to his people seven different times. And we're going to take these seven complaints that God has towards Israel in the book of Malachi. And we're obviously going to apply them to ourselves. Because these, these complaints are not towards the unlost. I mean, to the lost. These are not, God's not complaining to the heathen, to the atheists, to those that don't go to church, to those that aren't His people. He doesn't complain to those that aren't His children. God complains to His own. So these are seven things that we as Christians could be, and some of us maybe are doing to God, and He's got to complain about it. You know how you go into a restaurant sometime and they have that little box and it says, uh, you know, give us a comment and everything. Well, years ago, remember, it was a complaint box, you know, like it was complaints, you know. But now they took all that down. They don't want complaints. They want comments. And they're hoping you're, they're all good comments. Well, God's got some complaints and he's put them in the box. And we're going to open up the box tonight like we run in a restaurant. And we're going <laughs> to we're going to look at what God's going to complain to the, the people of Israel. So verse two, here's the first complaint. God's first complaints found in verse 2. I, I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? So God's first complaint is, you have forgotten that I love you. God's first complaint is, you have forgotten that I love you. People tend to forget that God loves them. I know that sounds kind of strange, but people do. People tend to forget that God loves them. And, and, and that God's shown all that love at the cross of Calvary, and then they start living the Christian life, and, they, and then they start saying, well, I don't know if God loves me. Didn't He show you enough at the cross? But the, we, the people, people tend to be, kind, the people tend to be, what have you done for me lately? People tend to have the attitude is, yeah, I know yesterday you did this for me, but what have you done for me lately? And that's that selfish, that self-centered thing that we get into even as Christians where we start tending to think, okay, well, when's God going to do this for me? What's God going to do? What, what, when's the last time God really blessed me? Well, isn't it blessing enough that He died on the cross for you and, and saved you and, and shed His blood for you? People, God's question to that is, and His complaint is, you've forgotten that I love you. They, people tend to treat God like a teenager treats his parents. When things don't go their way, when a Christian doesn't have their way, when a Christian doesn't get their way, we tend to blame God. And a teenager, when a teenager doesn't get their way with their parents, what's the first thing that comes out of a teenager's mouth? You don't love me. You don't really love me. Because if you really loved me, you'd let me go do this and go out and drink with my friends and stay out till 1 o'clock in the morning. You make me come in at 10 o'clock at night. See, you don't love me. That's how teenagers treat their parents, and we have so many Christians that act like teenagers. Now, in Sunday school, I taught a lesson on this, how we've got the different, you've got different growths 
of the Christian. And you got a babe in Christ, somebody who's born again, who's a born-again Christian, who's, a, who's, who's recently got saved. You don't expect them to act grown. Amen? You don't expect them to grow. You don't expect, you don't put on, you don't expect nothing out of them. They're babes in Christ. And that don't matter if you got saved at 80 or at 8 years old. If you're a, a newborn creature in Jesus Christ, then we don't expect as much out of you. But as you grow, as you mature, as, as you get some years on you, you should be growing in the Lord. You should be acting more like a, Christ, a, grow, a mature Christian. And nobody, there's nothing worse than a teenager. So if you can just skip from babe in Christ to being a mature Christian, that's a wonderful thing. But so many people get stuck in that teenage years and they don't ever get out of them. They, st- they act like a teenager towards God and they complain to God. Uh, they complain, like in verse 2, wherein hast thou loved us? God's done everything for Israel. Everything for Israel, run their enemies out, did all these miracles, wonders. He, he resides in the land with them. He's done so many wonderful things, and they still puff up their... Ch- what have you done for us? When have you loved us? See, that sounds so much like a kid and the way a teenager would talk. Guys, we need to mature in Christ. But if you're a newborn creature in Jesus Christ, we should look at that and say, you know what? This guy or wom- this man or woman, we need to give them a little slack. I ran into a guy today... He works at the garage in the city of Brownwood. And he pulled me over to the side. He said, I, I hadn't told you this yet or not, but I got baptized. I said, well, praise the Lord, brother. He goes, yeah, I got saved. And, and this guy is a rough character, real rough character. But I noticed that something had changed in him because I'd seen him running around the city. And he'd say, hey, Keegan, how you doing? How you doing, Keegan? How? And he was, every time he'd see me, he had to speak to me. So I knew something changed in him. And he just had a little bit of a different countenance. Well, we got to talking, and he got to telling me about it. He's going to church, and his, his wife won't go to church, and he's been trying to talk her into going to church, and he's been just really loving the Lord and doing all those things, but he's a babe in Christ. And he tells me that his brother is a, is a, is a professing atheist, and his brother keeps giving him a hard time, and he said, you know what I did the other day, Keegan? I said, what's that? He said, my brother started in on God, and that God is not here, and there's no really, there's no God, and... He said, you know what I told I looked at my brother and I said, if you say one more bad thing about God, I'm going to shove your teeth down your throat. <laughs> you know, what do you do? You, that's not Christian-like, right? Amen. We're, well, you shouldn't do that. I just chuckled. I laughed, just like a lot of y'all did. I mean, I just, all right, brother. I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't say, oh, don't do that. I just laughed because he's a new babe. And he starts talking about his wife, and guess what? He's talking about his wife not coming to church. He used the two different cuss words. Yeah, I'm in a blankety-blank, all right, right. Well, he's a babe in Christ. He's going to poop all over himself, amen? Yeah. You expect that, but we've got to remember that, and you've got to help him grow up. Now, if I come back to him and two or three years later, and he's still acting the same way, a baby in diapers that, that needs a bottle is one of the most beautiful, cutest, holy things that we have on this earth. Amen? I mean, it's just wonderful. But when you get to be a teenager and they're still in diapers, still need a bottle, that's obnoxious. So uh, we need to grow up. And that's what the Lord's saying. Hey, my compl- you've forgotten that I love you. Let's move on to the next one. It's found there in verse 6. Let's move on to the next one. It's found there in verse 6. 
A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest that despise my name. And ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? So the second complaint the Lord has, and it's a really good complaint, is you've forgotten our, our relationship. You've forgotten our relationship. And he says there in verse 6, at the, verse of, the very first of verse 6, let's read it together again. A son honoreth his father. When you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, God no longer is a judge. You no longer refer to God as God. How do you refer to God? As the Father. You have a relationship now with God that you didn't have before you were saved. Now, He's your Father. Amen? And Jesus Christ warned them. He said, don't call no man on earth your Father. Not talking about in a physical sense. You got a dad. You got a daddy. You got a father. But in a spiritual sense. Because you only have one true Father. So you've got a relationship with the Father. Well, how do you treat a father? Well, you honor a father. You respect a father. Amen? It's yes, sir, and no, sir. It's uh, what can I do for you? You, you? you listen to your father. You show him honor. They're not doing it. They've forgotten that they have a relationship with God. And I, I, I don't mean to be mean about this, but to me... And maybe I was raised different, raised out here in Texas or whatever, but when I hear a man speak or a woman speak to their mom or dad and use their first name, just that's just weird to me, man. I just, it just, and I hope Brother Terry, I know your dad's here with you. I hope that I'm not, but I would never call my mom Vicky. I mean, I just, that would just, to me, that's disrespectful in the way I was raised. And I had to honor her, and it was always mom or mama or whatever. But I would never have used her. That was just disrespectful. God's expecting the same from us. We need to call out to God, hey, God, do this for me. No, we say, Father, please, will you do this for me? We approach the Father in the name of our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If God is your Father, you need to honor him. You need to honor him as one. Uh, you honor your father. You show respect. You do those things for your father. Uh, when your father says something that you don't necessarily agree with, you keep your mouth shut sometimes, right? Amen. I have an aunt, I have an aunt and an uncle that I look at as a mom and a dad because my mom and dad were, uh, were took from me at such a young age. And when my aunt says something over the phone that I don't agree with, I don't straighten her out. I don't, you're wrong about that. Let me show you how you're wrong. I just like, uh-huh, mm-hmm. And I swallow my tongue and I, I shut my mouth. Why do I do that? I don't do that for a lot of other people because I love her and I honor her. I'm not going to straighten her out. It's her job to straighten me out. Amen. It's not my job to straighten her out. It's her job to straighten me out. And I honor that, I honor that and I, I respect her about that. Uh, you know, do I think she's right about everything? No. But I'm not going to be the one to straighten her out. That's not my job. My job is to honor her. We should honor the Father in everything. Honor Him. Yes, sir. No, sir. Look at Matthew. Look, just keep your hand here, but look at Matthew 21. Jesus Christ tells a story about a father and son relationship. I, lo I love this one. Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. 
Look at this. Jesus Christ tells this, this little parable, this little story. Jesus Christ says in Matthew chapter 21, 21, verse 28, He says, But what think ye? What do you think? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. So he has one son, he tells his son, Hey, go work in my vineyard. What does that son say? And he answered and said, verse 29, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. So this son, he was disobedient at first. His dad said, Go work in the vineyard. And his dad said, uh, I mean, the son said, uh, no, <laughs> I'm not going. I got better things to do. But then after a while, I got to thinking, he said, you know, that's my dad. My dad's asking me to do something, and I should respect my dad. You know what, I'm, gonna, I, I'm changing my mind. That's what repent means, and I'm going to go do it. Look at the very next verse. And he came to the second. The father came to the second son, verse 30, and he said, likewise. You know, go work in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. <laughs> he tells his dad, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. Where do, what do you want me to do? What, what, uh, yes, sir, what do you want me to do? Go work in the vineyard. Yes, sir, I'll, I'll, I'm heading that way right now. Yes, sir. And doesn't go do it. Verse 31, whether of them twain, the two, did the will of his father. Don't we all want to do the will of our father? Well, we need to stop using lip service and start getting and doing what the Lord wants us to do. Honor Him as a father. It's not enough to give God all this praise. I hear people do this all the time. Oh, God's wonderful. God's great. Oh, God's a merciful God. God's a, God's a loving God. Yeah, He is all those things. But God's a God that wants you to do something and do what He says. God wants you to obey Him. It's not enough just to say, yes, sir, no, sir. Okay, I, I might have raised a really wicked son, but there's times when I told my son, I got onto my son and told my son, you know what, Keegan, you better straighten it up. And you know, he'd look at me, and there's times he'd say, yes, sir. And I, I believed he was repentant, and I believed that he was sorry. And there's other times he'd say, yes, sir. What's the difference? Well, one was, I was sorry, I, I apologize. The other one was, stick it in your face, Dad. They both are the same words, right? But I, I learned. He might as well have been saying, forget you, Dad. Yes, sir. There's a different way. Guys, it's not all about the words we're saying. We need to not be doer, uh, hearers of the word and speakers of the word. We need to be doers of the word. Let, let, let me show you. Look at verse 31. Whither them twain did the will of his father? They said to him, The first, Jesus said to them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. There's people who do a lot of talking, but the heart's not in the right place. God wants us to be a doer, not a listener, and a hearer, and, and a, a talker. Look at Luke chapter 6. I'll show you one more verse, and then we'll move on. So God's, Luke chapter 6. Look at Luke chapter 6. So God's complaint is, you've forgotten our relationship. And, I, and I'm saying our relationship, because you and the Father have a relationship. A personal relationship. And sometimes we've forgotten that. Look at Luke chapter, Luke chapter 6, look at verse 46. Very, uh, Jesus Christ does the same kind of condemnation towards His disciples here. 
And notice he's talking to his disciples and he says in verse 46, look what he says. Jesus says, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? <laughs> I wonder why you had never seen that up on a, up on the, on a house or written on, you know, like you know, we always have these pictures of eagles and I'll carry you on eagles' wings. We, have, oh, we love that. It's just, we love all those verses like that. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And we love those verses. But I've never been in somebody's house where it says, Why well, call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Father, 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 why are you calling me Father? You act like I'm not, you're not even my son. You don't dress like I want you to dress. You don't act like I want you to act. You go running around with the devil. You go running around with other people. You, you don't act like you belong to me. When I call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say. That goes back to what God said in Malachi. God said in Malachi, doesn't a master, doesn't a master get treated a certain way by his servant? Go back to Malachi, chapter, chapter 1. Go back to Malachi. So, uh, guys... God's complaint is, is that we've forgotten our relationship with Him. Look at Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. He says, If then I be a father, where is mine honor? If I be a master, where is my fear? Where is my fear? The two things every Christian should do is honor, the, honor God as a father and to fear God as your master. Fear God as your Lord. Fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord will get you a long way with, with the Father. So let's not forget our relationship. We not only have a Father, and we're a son, but we're not only a son to God, what, what else are we to God? We're servants to God. Right? We're servants to Jesus Christ. So what does a servant do? A servant does what his master says. The master says, go over here. Go do this. Go do that. And what happened, with, what happened when a servant wouldn't do what his master did, told him to do? Well, he'd get whipped. What happens when a father tells a son to do something and the son don't do it? Well, the son gets spanked, gets whipped. It's the same principle, guys. Let's just remember, God wants us to remember, his complaint is you've forgotten our relationship. The best way to honor and to fear him is to do what he says. It's just that simple. Amen. It just... I know it's not, that's not an easy thing to do. I'm a Christian. I try to live a Christian life. It's not the easiest thing to do, but it's the right thing to do. Look at verse 7. Mal Let's move on to the next one. Malachi chapter 1, verse 7. This very next verse. Look what God says to him now. Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar. Now, what he wanted was he wanted unleavened bread. He didn't want any wheat in it. I mean, any... Uh, he didn't want anything that's going to make it rise. And he wanted it to be unleavened. He wanted to have no fermentation in that bread. And he called it clean. But they're offering polluted bread on the altar. Verse 7. And ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? And that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And look at verse 8. If ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? They were supposed to bring the best of the flock. They were supposed to bring the best lamb, the lamb without blemish. You weren't supposed to bring up the blind lamb or the lamb that was had one eye put out by some wolf or something. Or you get a lamb that runs into something and he breaks a leg. You're not supposed to bring that lamb for sacrifice. God says, I don't want your leftovers. God says, I want your very best. 
And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? Look, he calls it evil to do that. And if you offer the lame and the sick, you've got some lamb or some goat or some ram or some bull, and it's really sick and it's a sickly one, you say, ah, that was no good. Let's just give that to God. Take him and sacrifice him. We've got to offer God something anyway, so let's give him God. They were doing that. Is it not evil? God says, hey, that's evil in my sight. Offer it now. Look, 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 look. Offer it now to that governor. Will he be pleased with thee? Or accept thy person? Saith the Lord of hosts. Woo. Okay, there's a lot right here. This third complaint, this third complaint from the Lord is simply this. Why do you not give me your best? You do not give me your best. You're giving me the Lord is saying, you're giving me your leftovers. You're not giving me your best. You're giving me this beat up, whatever's, whatever's left over, that's what you're giving me. And I never, I never required that. What I always required from my people. Now, he's not talking to atheists. He's not talking to the lost. He's not talking to the people. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to his people, Israel. He said, I want you, when you bring me something, I want it to be your best. I want it to be the best. And they're giving him his leftovers. Their leftovers. We give the best of our time and financial resources to our jobs, to our recreation, to our hobbies. We give all the best of what we have in our life to, to our jobs, to our families, to our recreation, to our hobbies, to all, everything else, and we take what's left over and try to give it to God. We tend to come and uh, give God a few minutes out of a week of our exhausted, tired, worn-out selves and try to give that to God. We offer God our spare time, our spare energy, our spare finances, but we don't like to offer to God our best. Why do I love missionaries so much? Why do I love and have, have a church that's so missionary-minded? It's because every one of the men and women are giving their best for God. These men and women, these aren't just men and women that are given the, their leftovers. They've sold their houses. They've sold their cars. They've gotten rid of their families. They've flown over to a foreign country they don't want them there. And they're sacrificing their time, sacrificing their, their knowledge, sacrificing everything for the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, those are people that are giving their best. God goes on to say here in verse 8, he says, uh, is it not evil? Look at the middle of verse 8, very, very important. This one right here just kick you right in the seat. Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person? Saith the Lord of hosts. He said, how would, how would your boss, how would your boss feel about you if you showed up to work worn out and fallen asleep while he's talking to you? How would your boss act? That's what God's asking. Your boss calls you up there, you go to work, and you're all worn out, and you're, he's talking to you, and you're just falling asleep. How would your boss react if you showed up to work as infrequently as you showed up to church? 
When we know the answer to that, you get fired, right? So many people would get fired because they don't show up for church just like they show up to work. God's point is this. He's making the point in verse 8. Stop giving me your leftovers. Give me your best. He's God. He deserves it. He deserves it and God is worthy of it. And if you talk to anybody on that wall who's given their best and have gave their best, you'll see them. They're happier Christians. They're more fulfilled Christians and they live a more fulfilled life. Amen. Amen, amen. I've been around every one of them. I've been around missionaries for going on 20-something years. You know what I know about missionaries? They love the Lord and they're very happy and content. And some of them are poor. Some of them don't have, some of them drive up and they don't have, a, they don't, their cars are all beat up and they're, they're like, they have, I'm going to sell this RV as soon as I get on the road and the RV's falling apart and uh, don't have much. They're having to borrow money from here, doing this, that, and other. But they love the Lord and they're very happy, very content. But they, the only difference is, is they're giving their best for God. They're not bringing to God the blind lead, the sheep, the lame sheep, the things that are sick. They're not giving God their leftover time, their leftover finance. They're giving God the best of what they have. God says, uh, you do not give me your best. Let's move on to uh, look at Malachi chapter 2, verse 7. Malachi chapter 2, verse 7. This is a simple one. Here's God's complaint in Malachi chapter 2, verse 7. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So what he's saying there in verse 7, he says the priest's lips should keep knowledge. So the, the priest, the pastor, the preachers of the church, the pastors of the church... They should be the one that keeps the knowledge of God. They're the ones that should have knowledge of God. They're the ones that should have a knowledge of the Word of God. And he says, and they should seek the law at his mouth. It says, my people should be going to the priests, looking for knowledge for, about me, looking for wisdom about me, asking questions about me. The priest should be able to give an answer. They should have the knowledge, and they should be seeking to the pastor. But look at verse 8. But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. He's getting on to the priests. He's getting on to the priests. He's getting on to the religious leaders. To nowadays, he'd be getting on to the pastors and to the preachers. This, doesn't have, this one right here doesn't have anything to do with any of y'all. It has to do with me. It has to do with some fellow pastor friends of mine. The, God's complaint here, the fourth complaint God has is, your pastors don't keep my words. Your pastors don't keep my words. A person should get the knowledge of God and God's words from his pastor. He should be able to say, what, what do you think about this? And should be able to learn from his pastor, grow with his pastor. So the obvious problem with this is, in America or in the churches today, there's lack of good pastors that are not preaching God's Word, holding true to God's Word, and just being faithful to God's words. We've had some visitors come into this church recently, and that's one of the things they said was, uh, they said, we've gone to these other churches, and they just don't even preach God's Word. And, I, and like I told them, I said, I can't promise you you're going to get good preaching here. I can't promise you you're going to get sermons. Good sermons. But I will, I promise you, to the best of my physical ability, every time I get behind that pulpit, I try to open up this book and I try to read it. And that's all I can promise anybody. 
And I try to keep the knowledge of this book. I try to keep it, and I try to give it to you. That's, that's what I think the Lord's called me to do. And we need more pastors that, that keep God's words. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Let's move on to the fifth, the fifth complaint. It's found in verse 17. Skip down to chapter 2, verse 17. Fifth complaint. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Uh-oh. Yet you say, wherein have we wearied him? When ye say, everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them. Or, where is the God of judgment? Where is the God of judgment? So what God's saying here in this fifth complaint is, he says, basically, you're wearing me out with the things you say. You're wearing me out. You wear me out with the things you say. As Christians, sometimes we say some of the dumbest things. You know, why did God do that? Why would God do that? You realize, oh, you believe in God. Amen. Yeah, I believe in God. Oh, uh, God is all-knowing. Yeah. You know, God, God has got, God's got your intent. He, he's always got the best thing for you, right? Yeah. Well, why are you questioning God? That you're not, you don't, you're not, when you're saying, why did God do that? Well, you're saying, why did the most perfect, righteous being that created me do something? Well, it's obvious. He's, either, he's doing something you don't understand because it's good for you. It's perfect for you. And he's God. He can do what he wants to do. He's God. You just called him out. Amen. He's God. I guess he can do what he wants to do, but don't you trust him? And God's saying, you're wearing me out, man. You're wearing me out. You're wearing me. Look, you have wearied the Lord. I'm, I'm not just using modern day language. That's what the Lord said. You're wearing me out with the things you say. Look, everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord. Look at all those people. They're doing so good over there. And we're doing so bad. I guess the Lord just, it don't matter. Lord just, it don't matter. Lord just, Lord blesses the evil. That's what they were saying. And then look what they said next. And where is the God of judgment? Where is the God of judgment? When you say, where is the God of judgment? Here's some, what, what you... People, man, I tell you. Where is the God of judgment, the question is. Well, number one, and this is what I love about my God, my Father. He's very, very long-suffering. Thank you, Lord. He puts up with a lot off of us. I don't want the God of judgment. <laughs> what are you doing calling on the God of judgment? See, this is, this is the twisted, selfish, self-centered thing that people do today. Where is the God of judgment? You want God to judge somebody, but where, when are you crying out for the God of judgment when you need to be judged? When you have sin in your life and you know you've done something really wicked, are you crying out, God judge me, God judge me? No, that's when we cry down, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. I need mercy. I, we don't want the God of judgment. We want the God of mercy. We want the God of grace. So many people are such hypocrites when it comes to that. They want everybody else judged, but don't judge me, Lord. <laughs> yeah. And then you hear people say, they weary the Lord out. They wear the Lord out. They say, if there is a God... Why, do they, why, does this, they, why does he let children be murdered? I've had people tell me that. If there is a God, why do they let children be murdered? Why did he let a child be murdered? Well, let me answer that question. 
If there is no God, would you say, if there is a God, why did he let that child be murdered? My, my, my answer to you is, if there is no God, what does it matter? And what I mean by that is, the reason why you cared that a child got murdered is because there is a God. There's something that is, there's a divine, righteous goodness that tells you that it's wrong that a child was murdered. You get that? If there was no God that gives us a divine presence of goodness, we wouldn't know what was evil. Understand, you've got to know what's good to understand what's evil. That's what separates us from the animals. We see animals, we see animals do some of the most evil things, and they don't think, they have no conscience about it. We see a mama, a mama cat have four or five kittens, and you'll see a mama cat, and she'll take the, and if there's one kitten that maybe don't look like it's going to survive, that mama cat just leave it. You say, that's so evil. That's so, that mama cat don't know the difference between good and evil. She doesn't have a soul like me and you. She does not understand the difference between good and evil. And when a, qu a person questions if there's a God because of some evil, they're, on, they're answering their own question by questioning that there's evil in the world. <laughs> to say there's evil in the world, say, well, where's God? That's proven there's God, that you recognize that there's evil there. Do you see where I, where the, where this is doing? God's going to judge people for the way they talk about Him because they're in their own questions. They're answering themselves and they don't realize it. Sin was brought in by man. The reason why that child died is because God didn't want sin in it, but we want sin. And we want to live in sin and we want God to stay out of our lives. And what we'll do is it's like, uh, God says homosexuality is wrong. I don't want God in my life. God says committing adultery and having sex outside of marriage is wrong. I don't want God in my life. And then some little child gets killed over here. Where's God? Where's your God now? Where, if, why would he? You don't want God. You don't want him in your life. You've pushed him out. Man wants God out of their life until... Man wants God out of their life and out of the way they live until they want vengeance. And when a man wants vengeance, all of a sudden you'll hear them call out on God. God, I wish God would do something and strike them down. I wish God, would, he, you won't wish God would do everything to everybody else but not judge you, right? God's going to judge that man that murdered that child. I guarantee you. He's going to judge that man or woman or whatever. That child's in a better place. He's in heaven. God's going to judge that man. But let me tell you something. He's going to judge that man that killed that child and he's going to judge you. So you got to be careful. We're real quick. We're real quick to judge everybody. You know, uh, Voltaire, which was, he was an atheist. I mean, he was a sorry atheist. He said, I've never prayed, not one time. He said, I only prayed one prayer. And the prayer I prayed was, oh, Lord, make my enemies look ridiculous. Make my enemies look ridiculous. And then he, Voltaire said, I prayed that prayer, and he answered it. So you have these people with that same kind of attitude. They don't care about God. They don't. The truth is, is they know that there's a God, but they know they live in sin, and they want God as far out of their lives as they can get Him. And then when things don't go the way they want it to go, then they want to point at me and you and say, see if there was a God. If there, yeah, you're, you're proving God 
by proving there's something evil. Because if there was no God and we were just an evolutionary creature that evolved out of nothing and we're just apes that have evolved in what difference does it make what one person does to another? It don't make a difference if there's no God. So don't ask me those questions. Gets me all riled up. You're answering your own question and you don't even realize it. God says, you're wearing me out. And as a pastor that has to answer questions like that, I can answer to the Lord. Yeah, they're wearing me out too. People just, they, they, don't, they want to live in sin up until some, something happens in their life. And then they say, oh, I want God to do something about that. Well, you don't want God in your life in any other way. You don't know God and you're not going to know God. But notice he's not saying this to atheists. Guys, I'm talking about God is talking to his own people about this stuff. And we as Christians need to be really careful we don't get caught into this trap. The world will drag you down into the same mud pit that they're trying to live in. Look at uh, Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Let's look at the sixth one. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, where, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings? You're a curse with a curse. For ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. And I will, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. So his sixth complaint is, is that you're robbing me. He's not talking to... I have people come in and say, oh, all those preachers want your money. All the, those churches, they're always out for money. That when somebody starts talking that way to me, I wonder if they're saved. I really do. I wonder about their salvation. Because a Christian, a, God, a person that's, uh, that believes in God and has been around God's people understands that there's, there's a responsibility to give what you, what you have to God. And to realize... I don't own nothing. God owns me. He's my master. I'm his slave. He owns me. He gives me this. So what I do is in thankfulness, and, and, and with the, I give him a tenth, a tithe. I, give him a, I try to give him a tenth back. That's what belongs to him. In God's eyes, that tenth belongs to him. Anything above that 10%, that's what you're giving to God. See? Anything in that 10, you keep back any of that 10%, you're robbing God in his eyes. And what you're doing is you're saying, okay, I'm going to give 10%. And then if I give 12%, 15%, 20%, you're giving God 10% 10 more than you, you're giving him that. And he says, if you'll do that, that's all the blessings there. If I will not open, up, uh, open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. You know, it's funny I'm preaching on this, and I don't preach a lot on tithing, right, Brother Ronnie? Because I, I did the first time. The first time they ever came in, Ronnie and Linda, I was preaching and teaching on tithing. And I told them out there to back, I said, well, I guess I'll never see y'all again. But they, they, they were crazy enough to come back. But the point is, is that I was riding with this guy. He's a Christian. He's telling me he's having a hard time finding churches. They go around to these different churches, and they're just not finding a good church. And he said, back in the day, back in, uh, they lived up in... Uh, Oh, I think it was Big Spring or somewhere in there. They, him and his wife got involved in the church. 
And they started teaching Sunday school. They started teaching the kids. And he said, man, we were having a wonderful time. And we we just loving on those kids. He goes, man, I, I, we were as close to the Lord. He said, but we were broke. We were always broke, is what he told me. Now, I didn't bring any of this up. He just told me this story out of the blue, riding with me in the truck. He said, we were broke. He said, and one day, the ladies of the church, they all went out to eat, and my wife went with them, and we were so broke, she couldn't buy herself anything to eat. All she could buy was just a Coke, just something to drink, because we were so broke. So after that happened, he said, we went home, we got to talk about it, he said, you know what? We're going to start giving to the Lord our tithe, because they hadn't been tithing. He said, after I started tithing, I never was broke again. Now, I didn't say that, brothers and sisters. That's what was told to me just last week. I didn't ask him about giving to God. He just brought the story up and gave it to me. Brothers and sisters, if I could have a dollar for every story like that I've heard from another Christian, I'd be pretty rich. That's a great testimony. But that's not the only testimony I've ever heard. I've heard testimony after testimony of brothers and sisters who start tithing to the Lord. And it don't have to be to this church or to another church. Sometimes you say, I'm going to give a little bit to the church. I'm going to give a lot to this missionary. Whatever you think, you, whatever you feel like the Lord's laid on your heart. But listen to me. The Lord looks at it, and his complaint to you is, you're robbing me. You're robbing me. Let's look at the last one real quick. Verse 13. Malachi chapter 3, verse 13. Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, what have we spoken so much against thee? Ye have said, it is vain to serve the Lord. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance, and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord a host? And now we call the proud happy. Yea, they, they that work wickedness are set up. Yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. Man, this goes back to them speaking against him. And it goes to the seventh complaint, and the final complaint tonight is, the Lord says, you speak against me. You're just talking bad about me. You're talking bad about me. And what they were doing is that they're saying, it's not worth serving the Lord. I hear this from Christians. I hear people complain. They say, the Christian life is too demanding. It's, uh, the way you're trying to, your way the Bible teaches is too old-fashioned. This is the year 2019. We, we don't do it that way. Uh, we, don't, we don't look at lifestyles that way. We want to live our own lifestyle. That way that you're talking about is out of date. And I've heard people say stuff, about, they'll quote stuff out of the Bible. The Bible says this about women and the Bible says this about homosexuality or whatever subject it is. And I've heard people say, well, you know, you got to remember that when the Bible was written 2,000 years ago, they didn't see things like we see them. Like, are you out of your mind? Of course. God wrote that, and we're seeing them wrong, and they're seeing it right. 2,000 years later, this thing's still right, and you're wrong. It don't matter what the TV's taught you, or the professor, or the teacher, or the media, or your pol political group, or whatever. The, uh, if the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. And God is saying, you're speaking against me. And you're saying, it's not worth serving the Lord. Because you know what happens when you become a Christian? You start realizing it's not easy. Because you're going to have people make fun of you, mock you. The world is completely against It's hard when the whole world is like a tidal wave of all this stuff's coming at you. And you're, you're like a, a fish trying to swim upstream, right? I mean, it just seems like you're just against the whole world. 
The way we think is totally against the whole world. Amen. It is. And it's always going to be. People mistake prosperity. People mistake like prosperity. They mistake financial success as spiritual rewards. So the Christian life, what they'll do is, it's like what's going on here. They'll see somebody who's really, really successful and they'll think, well, that guy's very spiritual. There's something going on good with that. And when they see somebody who's driving an old beat-up car or living in an old house, they'll say, well, they're just not right with the Lord. And that can be, that, there's nothing more wicked than that. Now, I'm going to close by saying this about this, and, and we're closing right now. The Lord says, you speak against me. And this goes back to how Christians and His people, Israel, act like teenagers. And I've already brought this up about teenagers, but I'm going to close by saying this. Like a teenager, these people here, in verses 13, 14, and 15, they're like teenagers. They're seeing their friends go out and live like the devil, go out and drink, go out partying. And they say to their parents, to their dad, why can't I go out and do that? They're complaining to the Lord. They're speaking against the Lord. And the Lord says no and sends you to your room. And you're in your room as a teenager saying, my dad's so mean. I, it's not, I don't even like my dad. I, he won't let me do what I want to do. And going back to what I showed you earlier, he'd come out and say, you don't even love me. I think the most humbling thing is to grow up and start thinking back to how you acted as a teenager <laughs> and the way you thought and the way things you said. You know, I, I'm not lucky enough to have my mom around. My mom passed away before I could really, really... I got to, I got to, I got to apologize to my mom a lot, taking her back and forth to radiation treatments. But guys, even to this day, I wish my mom was around just so I could call her up and say, Mom, I was so stupid. You were right on every single thing, and I was wrong. But how much did I speak against my mom? I spoke against my mom a lot. Not just with my words, but with my heart. Right? Amen. My heart. My heart was not for what my mom wanted me to do. My heart, our heart needs to be with what our Father wants us to do. And if our Father says, that's wicked, that's wicked, stay away from that, then we need to take it to heart and say, Father, you know what's best. I'm going to stay away. Yes, sir. And I'm not going to speak against you. I'm going to do what you want me to do. There's seven complaints the Lord has towards His people. And I pray that we can, uh, we can get some of that stuff straightened up if there's something the Lord's got against us. You've forgotten that I love you. You've forgotten our relationship. You don't give me your best. Your pastors don't, know, don't keep my words. You wear me out with the things you say. You've robbed me. And then the seventh one was, you speak against me. You're just talking bad about me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray, Father, that you would uh, forgive us of our sins, Lord. Forgive us for acting like spoiled children, spoiled teenagers, Father. Lord, help us to be mature. Help us to grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, Father. Lord, there's things that we just can't stop doing. We're going to need you to fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord God, that you can do it and work out of us, Father, and we can take this flesh and keep it down. Father, I just ask a special blessing on every soul that's represented here tonight, Father God, and Lord, give them traveling mercies back home. And Father, just thank you again for your words. Thank you for loving us, and thank you for this church. I'm praying all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com.
On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3, verse 16, and most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13 he sums it up. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him